It's Thursday, the 6th of February, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, the activist Joshua Wong, who helped spark Hong Kong's pro-democracy protests, tells Monocle that it's time Beijing listened to the people who call his city home. The future of Hong Kong belongs to Hong Kongers instead of being dominated by Beijing. We just have to keep our momentum and let people stand in the forefront to confront the authoritarian rule. Plus, our U.S. election correspondent Thomas Lewis reports on a remarkably strong showing for Democratic presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. Two days after the rally, what we realized is Carrie Lam just chose to say sorry and that's all. At the age of just 23, Joshua Wong has achieved a lot in a short time. He rose to fame as the teenage figurehead of the student-led Umbrella Movement in 2014. He spent time in prison and travelled to Washington to meet Nancy Pelosi. He even considered funneling his passion for activism into a run for political office in Hong Kong. But that bid was over before it began when authorities barred him from standing in last year's council elections. Today, he's releasing a new book, Unfree Speech is Wong's first title written for an international audience. He told Monocle's James Chambers why it's important for foreign governments to support the people of Hong Kong. Hong Kong is not the global financial centre with only dim sum and kung fu or Bruce Lee and etc. Here is the protest city. I hope to let the voice of Hong Kongers being heard in the international community. That's why through my personal journey to engage in street activism and democracy movement, hope to let more people around the world aware that why we encourage them to stand with Hong Kong. You were specifically asking overseas governments to stand with Hong Kong. And you describe Hong Kong in your book as the, the canary in, in the coal mine for global democracy. Now, how should the likes of Donald Trump and Boris Johnson react to this warning? Compared to the passive approach or attitude of the U.S. government six years ago during the Umbrella Movement, I think now U.S. administration and the Congress have the new bipartisan consensus aware that they must take a more active approach to support Hong Kong's democratization, especially during the trade war, and how we recognize Hong Kong is the battlefield of autocracy versus democracy, liberal value versus authoritarian rule. How UK government in the previous day as the one who signed on the Sino-British Joint Declaration. I believe after the chaos of Brexit, it's time for them to aware that with the threat of China and the sharp power expansion of Beijing, how they could do more to protect and defend democracy in our free world. Beijing likes to paint the pro-democracy protesters, and you in particular, as being in the pocket of the Americans or a myriad of other kind of so-called black hands. Can you put your hand on heart and categorically deny that you've never received any kind of tactical advice or financial support from a foreign government, whether that's in Washington, London or or Taipei? With the criticism of the pro-Beijing camp, accused that I was controlled by the black black hands or how color revolution in Hong Kong happened is not true at all. The simple question that we have to let the world to reflect is if greater cities just like New York, London, Paris can elect the mayor, so why can't Hong Kong? 
The only reason behind is how Beijing ignored people's demand and they broke the promise in the International Treaty, which means the Sino-British Joint Declaration. We just have to have a vote to elect our government. And those misleading information is not true at all. You mentioned during your time in prison that it gave you some time to, to read a lot more, uh, and specifically the democratic struggles uh, in places like Korea and Taiwan. In those Asian countries, you know, things got very ugly before uh, they turned to democracy. You know, people died. Are you willing to, to die for the cause in Hong Kong? Actions speak louder than words. And we have protesters died in the protest after being fired by uncountable numbers of tear gas and rubber bullets. Live rounds were also used by those riot police fired towards high school students during the protest. I would say that lots of people always have certain kind of assumption, assume that democracy is the things that only belongs to the Western world. People in Asia, they might be far away from democracy or we might have more understanding or sympathy to the traditional culture or custom in Asia and it's still far away for them to have democracy. But with the discussion of the retreat of democracy, I think people in Asia or Chinese society also deserve to have democracy, to have a vote to elect the government. Just look at the experience in the Taiwan presidential election. How people in such Chinese society, they can line up orderly and vote uh, in last month's election. I think it's also impressive and let the world to know that people in Asia deserve it. Right now in Hong Kong, it's not just the pro-democracy protesters who are at risk in getting hurt. You know, Hong Kong has become a dangerous place to be from mainland China. What do you think when you see bankers being beaten up just for being from the mainland or university students have feeling like they have to flee to Shenzhen? Um, do you think the anti-government protests have gone too far? Lots of journalists in the previous half year would love to ask me if the protests go too far. I would say that it's hard for everyone agree on every behaviors of protester, especially we have more than 100 protests in the past half year. But with the landslide victory in the election of last November, I think it already explains the public opinion and the preference of the silence majority. In last November, more than 85% of seats in the district council won by pro-democratic camp. With such landslide victory, it just explained that compared to um, the support of pro-Beijing camp, more Hong Kong people were willing to stand on the side of democracy. And more important thing is, if we hope to stop any kind of violence and also reduce the chance to have clash, especially no one want to see our friends or peers being arrested, tortured, prosecuted, or locked up in prison. The most important thing is the government must hold the accountability to investigate on the police brutality by the independence inquiry. And that's already the demand during the protest, get more than 85% of people supported by the government, is loyal to Beijing, didn't elected by people, and just ignore our demand. A very powerful question you pose in your book is, you know, how much violence can be tolerated to further our cause without alienating Hong Kong society and the international community. Given what you've just said, you know, do you think that um, the society in Hong Kong can tolerate more violence? 
in last November during the election, I remember one pro-Beijing leader say that it showed people afraid more on tear gas or afraid more on the petrol bombs. And with the result, it explained that people have more hesitation and dissatisfaction with the tear gas fired by the riot police. So what I mean is, no matter people agree or disagree to the behaviors of protesters, more than 7,000 of them, including me, already facing certain kind of legal procedure and might be locked up in prison. But with the misconduct and the abuse of power of police in Hong Kong, none of them have been arrested in the past half year. So instead of being double standard, I think more important is the government of Hong Kong should aware that they should be responsible to people instead of only responsible to Beijing. Pro-democracy activist Joshua Wong speaking to James Chambers at our Hong Kong bureau. Wong's new book is called Unfree Speech and it's out today. Despite national polls consistently favoring Joe Biden in the lead-up to this year's presidential election in the United States, Pete Buttigieg departed the Iowa caucus with a remarkably strong showing. Monocle's U.S. election correspondent Thomas Lewis reports from Des Moines. So we don't know all the results. But we know by the time it's all said and done, Iowa, you have shocked the nation. Many U.S. political pundits were in uproar late on Monday night, not only because of the chaos wrought by the glitchy software that thwarted the Iowa caucus, delaying the results and upending for the Democrats the all-important curtain raiser for the process to unseat Donald Trump in November. They were affronted too because one of the candidates had the audacity, they said, to declare victory before any of the results had been released. Iowa, you have shocked the nation, Pete Buttigieg, the former mayor of the Indiana city of South Bend, announced during his address to thousands of boisterous supporters at a university sports hall in Des Moines on Monday night. But Buttigieg himself shocked onlookers with his own political gamble too. Declaring yourself a winner in a contest before a single result has been published is not a move for the faint-hearted. But this is politics after all, and his calculation paid off. It now seems that Buttigieg did come out on top in Iowa, closely behind Bernie Sanders, the progressive senator from Vermont, and clearly ahead of his more famous opponent in the centre ground, Joe Biden, who it appears came in fourth place. It's a significant moment in the campaign, both for a politician who was largely unknown a year ago, but also for an openly gay man whose credibility and viability as a presidential candidate are strengthening. I'm not surprised at all, one voter told me, of Pete Buttigieg's standing in Iowa in the hubbub of the Elizabeth Warren caucus night party in a Des Moines conference room on Monday night. People are tired. They know Biden too well. Pete represents something else, he said. Pete Buttigieg's ascent to contender status in Iowa does not guarantee him the nomination. But it could mean a shift among Democratic voters is underway. If, for example, 
Joe Biden also fails to impress voters in New Hampshire next week. Voters elsewhere may well look for a centrist alternative to him, given that many voters appear still to be sceptical that the politics of the hard left, embodied to many by Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, can garner national appeal in November's election. That figure could be Buttigieg, or indeed Mike Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York, for whom the campaign begins in earnest on Super Tuesday on the 3rd of March, when the states he's ploughed with TV ads for several months now finally get to vote. His standing in the race, it's worth noting, has quietly ascended in recent opinion polls. But for Pete Buttigieg, his supporters and even the history writers of US presidential politics, the Iowa caucus marked a milestone. It has also mapped out the strengths and indeed the weaknesses of Mayor Pete's campaign, which will be tested further in New Hampshire next Tuesday. For Monocle in Des Moines, Iowa, I'm Thomas Lewis. We'll hear from Thomas again later next week when the Democratic candidates arrive in New Hampshire for that state's primary. Elsewhere on today's agenda, a new rail project under construction deep beneath Sydney's famous harbour is set to cost the city four billion Australian dollars more than its original budget. It follows reports that the cost of Sydney's long-awaited new light rail was double the original estimates. The reason for the cost blowouts is partly due to skills and materials shortages caused by the high number of large infrastructure projects underway across the country. And retailers in Japan are resorting to unusual measures to try and curb the spread of the coronavirus. Fashion stores, including Beams and United Arrows, as well as department stores Isatan and Mitsokoshi, among others, are requiring staff to wear masks during business hours. Panic buying has left pharmacies, supermarkets and convenience stores dangerously low on mask supplies, which have become common across much of Asia. The shortage is shocking for Japan, which goes through about 5.5 billion masks every year. But it's also understandable. Imports of masks from China, which normally account for about 80% of the Japanese market, have all but ceased in recent weeks. Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Friday.